Going Postal Publishing, the Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Welcome everybody to another slightly insane episode of Incarceration, episode 16 this week. I am your host, Christopher Chapman, but I am not insane. That comes later. I'm like a gremlin. Don't feed me after midnight. Bad things happen. So I hope all of you are doing well. It has been another crazy week for me. Still no laptop. I'm still looking at probably at least another month without a laptop, so it is much harder to get things done, but it's a good thing that I'm working on editing Daddy's Little Girl mostly, so I don't need a laptop all the time, but at least once or twice a week I need some kind of computer in front of me, like I have right now, where I can just pound out a bunch of different things, get some editing done, get it all typed into the computer, and get the website uh, updated, get some things going there, have to work on some videos, which I hope to get working on in the next couple of days. But as far as the updates go for Daddy's Little Girl, I am about 40% of the way through the latest edits. I'm, it's going good. Not as mon- many corrections as I thought I'd have to make. There's definitely some grammar stuff that I'm going to have to take care of. Very few minor plot issues that I have to resolve, but overall it's been going very smoothly. Very little that I have to change, and there's been actually quite a few pages where I just put a big red OK on it because there's nothing that I have to change or nothing that I have to do. So that's a good sign. Once this uh, round of edits is done, then I have to work on either writing the third book in the series that we are currently listening to, or edit a different book, and then come back to Daddy's Little Girl at least one more time before its release in July or August of this year. I just have to say that I really can't wait to get this new laptop because I am just itching to write because I got all these crazy new short story ideas that I've come up with in the last couple of weeks. Got a couple new novel ideas that I don't even think I've told my girlfriend about yet, so I guess I'll have to tell her at some point here. And now the volume issue. Received some a little bit of feedback in the last week about the volume of the last two episodes, and people are saying that, hey, it's sounding a lot better, and you can hear me. And I'm not necessarily sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing that you can hear me. Maybe you don't like the sound of my voice, or maybe it's the greatest thing you've ever heard. Either way, you can hear me better now. My apologies go out to those of you who liked the chapters and just skipped over this little part at the beginning here where I just ramble on about the updates. But I think I'll be announcing something next week that should help those of you who just like to hear the story part of things. Can't say anything yet. I want to make sure that I have everything in place before I announce it. Alright, so it's time to get into the story. 
And it's time for chapter 31, I believe, of incarceration. This is going to be just one chapter today. In fact, the next three weeks, you're only going to see one chapter. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is chapter 31, episode 16 of Incarceration. Chapter 31 Jason was released from the medical station about an hour after his visit from Matt Zern. Everything he'd said, as improbable as it seemed, kept playing over and over again in his mind. He didn't know what to think. One thing was certain. He couldn't wait until it was time to go out to the yard. In the nearly 16 years since the death of his parents, most of which was spent in prison, he hadn't looked as forward to something as he did right now. Despite the improbability of it all, he wanted to hear what Matt had to say. He was talking about vampires. Even if none of what he said was true, he was in for a pretty good story. There was something about the old man, however, that seemed to pique his interest. Despite the throbbing headache, he was able to tell that Matt believed everything he was saying. There wasn't a single hint that he was trying to lie. He looked at Jason and answered almost every question quickly and without much thought. It was as if he were actually speaking the truth. Time wasn't moving fast enough. Due to the concussion, he wasn't allowed to get any sleep for a few hours, leaving him with a lot of time to kill and nothing to do in the meantime. You okay? Rick asked from the underneath bunk. Fine, Jason said without much emotion. His mind was elsewhere, not on Rick and his questions. Just fine. If it helps, you look like shit, Rick said getting out of bed and standing. Somebody at breakfast told me that you had a visitor, the guy that's been asking about you. Where do you hear these things? Jason asked. I always have my ear to the ground, Rick said. There's nothing in this place that I don't find out about. The guy that was guarding you likes to talk a little too much. I had to persuade him to keep his mouth shut. I didn't want to have to write a letter to his wife telling her that her husband's been fucking one of the nurses. Why do you think he was in that area? Now, did the old man talk to you? Yeah, he talked to me. Did he say something? He claimed to know something about the guy that killed my parents, Jason said. No shit, Rick said. So all that stuff about being innocent was the truth? Yep. Man, I'd always pegged you as one of those characters that says that he's innocent as a way to increase his appeal chances. The cell filled with the sound of a siren. The door to the cell opened slowly with a mechanical grind. It was time for yard. Jason moved down from his bunk. As his feet hit the floor, he felt a dizziness come over him. His knees buckled, and he would have gone down if it weren't for Rick's quick hands. Rick got his hands under Jason's arm, keeping him upright. You sure that you should be going out to the yard? Rick asked. I have to, Jason said. I have a little meeting with the old man. Don't try to break us up, either. I want to hear what he has to say. Suit yourself, Rick said. You need help out? I think I'll be fine, Jason said, although he wasn't completely sure. After Rick left, Jason took the time to make his way out to the yard. He followed the predetermined path, thinking about what he was going to say to the old man. He wanted to know if Matt really knew what he was talking about, or if he was full of shit. He hoped that this meeting would go a long ways towards figuring that out. 
Once he was in the yard, he looked for Matt. It took a moment, but he saw Matt sitting in the vicinity where he'd seen him the day before. Jason walked there as fast as he could, carefully choosing his steps so that he wouldn't fall. His balance had been diminished by the head trauma, making walking more difficult than usual. I started to think you weren't coming, Matt said, offering Jason a seat in the grass next to him. Jason sat and said, I walked as fast as I could. You are aware that I have a concussion, aren't you? Yes, of course. How foolish of me. I apologize. It's all right, Jason said. Now, let's not waste any more time here. I want to know everything. Of course you do. I'll tell you, but it'll have to be in my own way. If I ramble, I apologize, but I promise that I will tell you everything as long as time permits. Jason waited patiently as Matt appeared to be composing himself. I know that I've already told you about how they become vampires and that your parents may already be vampires, Matt said. Jason nodded. That's good. Okay. Everything that you've experienced, the deaths, the cover-up, everything, is all connected in the end. We are dealing with the scum of all existence. Leeches, for a lack of a better term. They're not like you've seen in the movies or books. We're dealing with creatures that have never been documented accurately, but exist nonetheless. This I can guarantee. There are no vampires that suck your blood and speak like the Count from Sesame Street. One! Ah, ah, ah. He made a passable Count impression. These things are far worse. I guess I'm looking for some kind of a sign. You know, proof that what you're saying is the truth. Proof is something that's a little hard to come by when you're dealing with vampires, Matt said. When you kill them, they burst into flames and become ashes in a matter of seconds. Okay, Jason said, sounding disappointed. What else can you tell me that will convince me that this isn't a big, stinky pile of nonsense? I have a concussion, you know. I need things concise. You're not really letting me tell you this my way, Matt said. You're asking an awful lot of questions. What I am going to do is I'm going to tell you the facts about vampires. I'll leave it up to you to decide if I'm telling the truth or not. If nothing else, I will have made you aware of the situation. As I've already mentioned, vampires are not bloodsuckers although they do like to feast on humans. There's something about people that gives vampires a certain energy, and it's stored right here. He pointed a finger at his throat. They tear this out with their teeth, not spending much time to drink the blood. They're after a person's energy, and nothing else. What energy? Jason asked. He was completely engrossed in what Matt was saying. Vampires are, in essence... Parasites that absorb the life energy of other people, Matt told him. Sure, they can kill animals to ease their cravings, but that's not the same as what's inside a person. Humans carry a certain energy that vampires can absorb by cutting out the front of their throats. Their energy is released in a tidal wave and absorbed by the vampire. He paused. I guess you can say that a vampire is absorbing a person's soul. As you can imagine... Those the vampire has killed will become a vampire as well. Biting, or even scratching, can do this. The cancer is all the same. Another pause as he caught his breath. Most bites will kill you instantly, 
while a scratch can take a long time to get the poison all the way into your brain. It all depends on the severity of the bite or scratch, and the power of the vampire who does it. There are several types of vampires, all of which are determined by the amount of people they've killed. When vampires have absorbed the soul of a person, they gain some of that person's energy and some of their existence. The vampire becomes stronger, more powerful, and will stay that way. Over time, a vampire can become extremely powerful, possibly even gaining supernatural abilities. There are some that can even change shapes. Not bats, like in the movies, but possibly other animals. Some vampires can fly. There are others that, well, let's just say that they can do some pretty amazing things. How many types of vampires are there? Jason asked. Are there different kinds? As I've already said, it's all based on how many people they've killed, Matt said. The weakest vampire are what I like to call the grunts. These are the newest vampires that have recently been converted. They are connected to the vampire that converted them through some sort of telepathy. These vampires basically are for one purpose, and that's killing. Next we have the second level vampires, which I like to call power vampires. This is where I believe your parents are. These are the first vampires that show some ability to think for themselves, and usually are connected to the grunt vampires that they've converted. They usually lead small groups of vampires on recruiting missions, killing others along the way. The third level is leader vampires. This is the level at which the man that killed your parents is at. This I'm almost completely sure of. They can think for themselves and are linked to every vampire that they've converted below them, which can sometimes be as many as two or three hundred. In the case of your vampire, I suspect that it might be slightly more. Also, these vampires usually have supernatural strength and many abilities. They are extremely deadly and almost impossible to kill. I've faced over a hundred vampires in my time and have never faced one of these head-on. I wouldn't like my chances if I had. You faced? Jason asked. Are you something like a vampire hunter? Something like that, Matt said. Please, let me finish. These things have a way of getting away from me. Jason became quiet. There's one more level above that, but I'm not ready to talk about him right now. He's a subject I don't like to talk about. You said that you were going to tell me everything, Jason said. How am I supposed to believe you if you don't want to tell me everything? Talk. I don't like to talk about him, Matt said, seeming to rise in nervousness. He took deep breaths and started looking around. I guess I don't have much of a choice. He took another deep breath. There's one vampire, possibly the first of their kind, that's more powerful than any other. Legend says that this vampire can't be killed. Legend also says that he's connected to every other vampire telepathically, and you don't want to piss him off. They say that killing too many vampires at one time will result in him coming, and killing everything in his way. I don't know if that part is true, but I've never wanted to test it. I might be getting up there in years, but I haven't had the courage to test my luck. Does this vampire have a name? Probably, but I don't know it. I've always referred to him as the Vampire Lord. I've heard vampires refer to him as that as well. With everything that Matt had said up to this point, Jason was skeptical but intrigued. 
He knew what he'd seen all those years ago, from large teeth to the inhuman ability to get stabbed, fall down the stairs, and get back up. Everything Matt said seemed to fit somehow, no matter how far from reality it seemed. Until now, he hadn't believed in vampires or any creature of the dead. Now, he wasn't so certain that they didn't exist. The strangest feeling was that there was hope. He may be in prison for killing his parents, but he now clung to the hope that there may be a way to see his mother and father one final time, even though it could signal the end of his life when he did. As far as he was concerned, he'd been dead for over 15 years. Dying physically would be nothing more than the icing on the cake. There was one question that came to him that he needed to know. It was something that the killer had said to him while he was trying to break into the police car. It was also something he'd heard once or twice in his dreams, a random thought that had caught his attention. What does death has come mean? Matt looked at him for a moment before saying anything. That, I believe, may be the biggest question of all, Matt said, not going into it any further. He remained silent, dismissive. How do you know so much about vampires? Jason asked. Matt gave a half-hearted smile as he looked back at Jason. His expression told Jason that the answer to the question was something that he really didn't want to talk about. He suspected that Matt would talk, though. Jason looked around the yard. He wanted to be sure that neither one of them was being overheard. The last thing he needed was for somebody to overhear that they were discussing vampires. That would earn them a first-class trip to a beatdown. I'm sure that if we spend much time together that I'd let it slip anyway, Matt said, his smile faltering. He kept looking around at his prison surroundings. There are two sources for most of my information. As you've probably figured, I'm not psychic, and I'm no genius. I have obtained a book titled The Truth About Vampires by some anonymous writer. Whoever wrote that book has got his shit together. He knows what's going on. He paused, taking a deep breath. His second source seemed to need a little preparation. Most of what I know I've learned from my daughter, Laura. I don't get it, Jason said. How can your daughter... Jason didn't finish the question, as he seemed to understand. He became quiet, wanting to hear the man say it. Yes, my daughter is a vampire, Matt said, tears filling his eyes as he spoke. She's been a vampire for 13 years now. She died when she was eight. She's been hunting and killing ever since. How do you get information from her? Jason asked. I mean, if she's a vampire, how could she be giving you info? Do you remember what I said about vampires gaining the ability to think for themselves as they grow more powerful? Matt asked, the tears starting to disappear. She started coming to me in dreams about ten years ago. I think she wants me to find her. I think she wants me to kill her. Jason thought about some of the things he'd seen, the images in his mind that seemed so real. Could his mother or father be sending him dreams? What about when he was still relatively new to the prison? Hadn't he seen some things that... No, he wasn't going to think about that. There were some things he just couldn't go back to. Why would your daughter want you to kill her? Jason asked. Like I've said, as time has passed, she has been able to think for herself, Matt replied. I believe that she's ashamed of what she has become, 
It wants me to end it. She's been keeping me informed through my dreams as to where they are and where they're heading. Unfortunately, their target has changed. What? I was arrested, Matt said. I slipped up. I was attacked by a group of grunt vampires. I fought them off until the morning sun came up. As the sun rose, one of them, in desperation, got the best of me. They threw something at me that struck me in the side of the head. He slammed his palm against the left side of his head, mimicking the impact. I made it into a heavily lit area and fell unconscious. They arrested you for the crimes, Jason said. It wasn't a question. Correct. The people they killed were still in the house. They had been killed far too close to morning, so there was no immediate transformation. The cops busted me, calling me your copycat killer. Jason knew of the name. I was convicted of ten murders quietly. Nobody came to the court hearing. They kept everything so sealed that the jury barely knew what was going on. They sent me here. Because this is where Wisconsin sends the prisoners they want to forget about, Jason finished. So I've learned, Matt said. I never thought in a million years that I would see you, the only other person that I know of that has escaped a vampire attack. Then how did that guy write a book? Jason asked. That's a good point, Matt said. Let's just say in the last twenty years then, shall we? How do we kill them? Jason asked, changing the subject. Crosses, stakes, garlic, and sunlight? The only proven way is stakes, Matt said. I've killed more than twenty vampires, and I can confidently say that the only way to kill them that I know of is with a stake through the heart. As far as the other supposed theories about how to kill a vampire, they don't like the smell of garlic, but will keep coming after you even if you're bathed in the stuff. Crosses have no special powers against them, since this has nothing to do with religion in any way. I've been wearing a cross since before my daughter died, and I've had my share of close calls. Also, I've actually seen one or two vampires in daylight. They become less susceptible to sunlight the more powerful they become. They still can't stay in the daylight, but they can show resistance. Do they use coffins? Jason asked. No, Matt answered. They like dark, cool places such as basements and cellars. There isn't a whole lot of sleeping, though. Books and movies have you believing that they sleep in coffins during the day. There are no coffins, and I've been in a basement with four vampires in it at high noon. I almost died that day because they were waiting for me. So, you really are some kind of vampire slayer, Jason said. A uh, vigilante of the undead? It's something like that, Matt said. So, that's about everything I can think of at the moment. Do you have any questions? I have many, but I don't exactly know where to start. I guess the obvious question is, why are you telling me all this? What does any of this have to do with me? Do you remember me saying that we were all in danger this morning? Yes. The vampires are invading this prison looking for me, Matt said. They will kill everybody they come across until they find me. It'll only be a matter of time before they figure out that you're here as well. If there's one thing I know about vampires, it's that they don't forget and that you're probably high on their shit list. Matt looked at him for a few moments. A hand went to his chin, rubbing underneath. 
I had dreams before my parents died, Jason said. I saw blood and teeth. Really? Matt asked. He seemed genuinely surprised. If what you said about your daughter sending me images is true, then who in the hell was sending them to me? I don't know, Matt said. That is another very good question. Several minutes of silence followed. After some time, Matt finally spoke. You don't believe me, do you? I don't know what to believe anymore, Jason said. He looked down at the tattoo. The face of the man who'd killed his parents, the same man that he'd seen a little over 30 hours ago, was looking back up at him. Was he really a vampire? Were his parents now vampires? How am I supposed to believe something like this? You're asking me to believe in something that seems so impossible. I will not ask for you to believe in anything I've said, Matt said, as the siren sounded signaling for them to go inside. He stood as he continued to speak. I want you to pay attention to what happens tonight. If another CO goes missing, we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. They were walking towards the entrance together. If you start believing me, we can move on to the next step. Next step? Jason asked. Escape. So there you have it. Lots of new information, lots of setup, lots of backstory. Jason's entire world has kind of been flipped upside down, and that's kind of the way I like it. All right, let's quickly get through the shameless self-promotion. Twitter.com slash GoingPostalPub. Facebook.com slash GoingPostalPublishing. Amazon. If you are going to be shopping on Amazon, click through the banner on GoingPostalPublishing.com and purchase whatever it was that you were going to buy. And this show gets a little bit of a kickback, a couple of pennies for every dollar that you spend. It all goes towards helping out the show and making things better. If you want to get a hold of me, submit a question, give me a comment, a cheap shot, and tell me I suck. You can do that by emailing me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. So that's going to do it for this episode. I will be back next week with Chapter 32 of Incarceration. So take care now. Bye-bye then. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 